Please turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. We are looking at the three witnesses. And uh, last week we looked at verses, um, we modified, verse, modified verses 7 and 8 because there was a whole chunk of it there in the middle that actually didn't belong. And so what I want to do today is begin by reading verses 6 through modified verses, seven, uh, versions of 7 and 8. And then we'll get on to what we want to talk about today. So 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, he says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness. This is verse 7. And then verse 8 says, The Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. Needless to say, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, because uh, I, I was almost hesitant. I was almost not going to do this. I was hesitant on ministering on this. I was going to leave it for when you came to Bible college or something, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then I, I just thought, no, you know, everything in the Word of God is important. And even if we briefly uh, look at it, I think we need to just look at it, acknowledge it before we move on. All right. So having said all of that, uh, remember again in the first part of verse 6, uh, we looked at the fact that when he mentioned water, it was talking about his baptism. And when he mentioned blood, it was talking about his crucifixion. And when the Apostle John says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood, he was making the point that God, Jesus Christ was the Son of God from beginning to end. Amen? That he didn't, you know, because remember again that they had this idea that the God part came down upon Jesus the man who wasn't the Son of God prior to it, and for a while, he was the son of God when he did all the miracles and everything. Then when he died, just before he died, the God part left him. Isn't it interesting how they took a truth and twisted it? The God part left him and he was no longer the son of God. And that's, you know, and so, you know, he died just as a man, not as the son of God, but just as a man. That's where the fallacy was. Remember I told you before that we know that he had to let go of his divinity in order to die because you... God can't die, <laughs> okay? God is life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so he did have to let go of his divinity to die. As a man, the, the, the flaw in their thinking was that they thought that that was the part that was the God, the, the son of God part that left him where, when in actual fact, he was the son of God throughout his life. In fact, remember again, uh, and let's just go to this because I was going to talk to you about this today. Uh, um, where, where were we? John chapter 1 and verse 1. Remember again that it says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And so we find out that, see that's why the apostle John starts his gospel that way. He didn't start it like all the other gospels, you know, with a huge genealogy and all that stuff. He was making a point. He was making the point that, listen, as much as Jesus had all the right lineage, you know, that was for the Jews. Like we care, you know, <laughs> okay, all right? But the Jews used to have this thing about the lineage. You had to come from the right lines. That's the reason why they accepted John the Baptist so readily, even though he really told them off. Remember, he called them vipers and snakes and all that sort of stuff. And they, and they led him, you know, he says, I don't believe you when you repent. Go and bring fruits of repentance so I know you actually mean it. I mean, who puts up with that? 
You know, so some big priestess would go and bring up fruits of repentance. You know what I'm trying to say? Okay, and so J John was like that, but the reason that he, they accepted him, because of this lineage thing, because his mo mother and father came from a line or lineage of priests. But Jesus, you know, they kind of messed up in, in figuring out his lineage. Later on, we find out that they actually did figure it out, but because he was becoming a problem to them, because he was becoming a threat to them, they got rid of him regardless of what they knew. So it wasn't like they didn't know that he had all the right lineage. By the time that they were ready to crucify him, they knew. Right, continuing on, in John chapter 1 and verse 14. So remember again that, you know, the apostle John brings out the fact that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, verse 14. Uh, this is John 1, 14. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we know that, see, that tells us that he was God from the beginning. In fact, before he even got to this earth, he was God. So all of these people that sort of said, well, you know, you follow whatever religion you want. We'll follow ours. We'll all get to God the same way. No, that was God. <laughs> okay? That's why I said, you know, redemption required God on both ends. You know, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, God. Can I say that? Okay? Because we needed God on both sides. God needed to send God to fix us. Amen. So that's why we don't believe in a man. We don't believe in a good guy. We don't believe in a prophet. You know, all the religions sort of say, well, you know, if you do these good things, you'll get to heaven. But the problem is doing good things doesn't change your spirit. You don't become a new creation doing good things. Amen. You don't escape the, uh, um, the power of darkness doing good things. Do you all understand what I'm trying to say? That's why, you know, they, you know that old saying that no good deed goes unpunished? Of course it doesn't, stupid change. You've got you to receive, sorry, you have to receive Jesus Christ as Lord in order for your good deeds to be blessed by God. Otherwise, the devil is going to look at you as a hindrance, as a danger to what he's doing because he's twisted. Man, he wants to do everything bad. He wants humanity to fail. He wants them depressed. He wants them going downhill. So you start doing some good work. Of course he's going to attack it. Are you kidding me? You are going against what he wants to do. So yes, no good deed goes unpunished until you become a Christian. Then they're blessed. Hallelujah. And the whole, even if it takes a whole host of angels to follow you around saying, don't touch him. They did good deed and they're going to be blessed for it, not attacked for it. Amen. Not going to preach on that. Okay, let's get back to this. <laughs> Uh, you didn't know it was in those verses, did you? No, they weren't. All right, so, <laughs> it's, uh, so okay, from John 1, 1 and 1, 14, we know that Jesus Christ was God from the very beginning. And even before his birth, the, remember the angel Gabriel tells Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, that the Holy One who is to be born will be called, notice, the Son of God. See, she, he, he didn't say, well, have a kid. Okay, when he turns like 30... God will do a little juju on him and make him the son of God. And then he'll be able to do all these miracles. And then God will have to say, you know, that's enough now. We got to take this because you got to go die. Because you done upset all the Jews. Hello. <laughs> okay, you know, that's not what happened. The angel said to Mary, he, he will be called the son of God. Why? Because he is, has always been. And so that was the whole point of what the Apostle John was bringing out. You know, back then it was all of these people that were having these ideas. Today we've got other people having other ideas. We still need to know this. Amen? That we need to know that we, we literally serve God. We don't serve 
a man or a, you know, a good man or a prophet or anything like that. We literally serve God. Amen? Amen. So, uh, let me continue. I've got more to say. Uh, so, of course, at his birth, um, the angel uh, tells the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, he says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Notice he is Christ. This is very significant. He is Christ the Lord when he is born. Because these people were saying, oh no, he had the Christ descend upon him at baptism. That's what John is on about, you know, not just water, but water and blood. Okay, that he was the Christ all the way through. In, and what I'm showing you is even beyond that, before the baptism, he was still the Christ. Actually, somebody brought to my attention, you know, when he was in the temple at 12 years old and the way he astounded everybody, he did show us there was something very special about this guy. <laughs> you know, he astounded everybody by his doctrine and what he was saying and brought things out that they probably never heard of. It was there, but they'd never really seen it that way. You all know revelation can come in all kinds of ways. You know, we, we get revelation upon revelation. I'm still getting revelation. Okay, uh, thank God. Um, you know, uh, I, was, I was sharing some of it before. We were talking about the uh, faith in God and faith of God. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I realized that I didn't mention, I told you there was so much more. I could have kept going, okay? Uh, but but I, I wanted to just share this very quickly because I thought this was a key thought. And that was faith in God is developed while you spend time with God. That's where you need the prayer and the praise and worship and everything else because that you develop faith in God because you're in the presence of God. And that only comes through fellowship. Are you all with me? Amen? Um, and there's no shortcut to that. Faith of God is different because you are, you are developing something inside of yourself that again, I, I told you, you know, faith in God, you know, has your back. Okay. The faith of God, you can apply and God wants you to learn and apply that so that you can make your way uh, prosperous and you can have good success. Remember Joshua 1.8 and Psalm 1, you know, verses 1 through 3. It is to really bug me that it said you will have good success. You know, you will make your way prosperous. I always felt like it should say, God will make your way prosperous. Do you understand? And then I began, I realized then that God was teaching Joshua the faith of God. He said, you meditate, and that's, I'm giving you a key here, that's how you get the faith of God, through meditation in God's word. It tells us, the word tells us, that if you meditate, that you will know, you will know what to do in every situation, according to all that is written therein, and when you do that, it says you will make your way prosperous and you, you will have good success. You will make your way prosperous. You will have good success. Are you with me? So you are developing something in your life that you can apply that will cause you to, to, to succeed and prosper every, in everything that you do. Hallelujah. So that's the faith of God. Anyway, that was another lesson. All right, back to... Okay, I hope that helped. Back to this. Uh, where was I? Uh, moving on. And following his death and resurrection, because I wanted to give you something on this side of... Uh, his baptism and on that side of his death. <laughs> Is that okay? I'm giving you on that side of his death now. All right. <clears throat> Following his death and resurrection, there are multiple accounts of his appearance. Sometimes suddenly, with all the doors shut. I really like that. <laughs> okay, that was uh, my little scripture went to the next page for some reason. That was in John chapter 20, verse 19. Remember it says, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, uh, where the disciples uh, were assembled for fear of the Jews. Okay, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said, Peace be with you. Remember how he just turns up. So, you know, if this guy was a man and he died as a man, which is why I said to you it was really important that he was God, because as God he could take on all the sins of the world. 
past, present, and future. As a man, all he could do would be to die for his own sin. Do you all understand the significance? That's why it was so important that it, you know, John is saying not just water, but blood as well. He was the son of God throughout his life. Amen? And because he was, that's why the price was paid. That's why we can walk in the freedom that we walk in today. Amen? And all the privileges as well. All right. Hallelujah. So I've said here, <coughs> um, and of course, the entire book of Revelation, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ, by the way. You know, don't ever call it Revelations. Okay, it's revelation, <laughs> and because it is a revelation of an individual. Amen? All right, so the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and note, note that he is forever Christ. Forever, okay? So not just from baptism to death, but forever. Hallelujah. In short, despite all the uh, heretics' limited and inaccurate view of Jesus Christ, the truth is that he has always been and will always be throughout all eternity, not only the Christ, but more importantly, himself, God, and judge of all. I really like that. I have a scripture here. In John chapter 5, verse 22, John 5, 22, Jesus says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment, all judgment to the Son. There's a bunch of Jews in big trouble. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? All them fellas that put him on the cross and want to get rid of him, they're all going to be judged by him. See, they were always figuring that they were going to stand uh, you know, in, at that judgment, uh, on that judgment day, let me call it that, okay? And they're going to stand before God and they're going to justify themselves. Because this, this man spoke blasphemies. You know that's why they crucified him? Because they said that he spoke blasphemies and they didn't allow him to be God's representative in this earth. They didn't allow him to be the Christ. They knew God was going to send one like him that would speak the words of God. And even, you know, and, you know, even if they didn't believe what he said, he healed everyone. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I mean, you, know, you can't get past that one. Especially when all the demons jumping up. When you read the gospel, it says every single time he got next to a demon, they would say, we know that you are the Christ. You are, you know, and they would identify him. It's like, oh, come on. Did, somebody didn't hear that? And then he wouldn't let them there. He wouldn't say, oh, you know who I am. You can stay in there for a bit longer. <laughs> you know, his response was always, shut up and get out. I mean, come on, man. That, that's God. It, and, you know, th that's why Nicodemus was very interesting when he said, we know. You know, he was a, a leader. And he said, we know that no man can do these things except God is with him. That's why he was never invited to the trial, <laughs> okay? Because he would have jumped up and down and protested the whole way through. And they wouldn't have been able to kill him. You know, they weren't meant to do it that way. You say, how was it meant to happen? I don't have that much time today, all right? There was, it was meant to happen another way. Remember, the priests were meant to offer the lamb, not throw it out there and kill it and run it over with a truck or something. Anyway, which is kind of what they did. Anyway, let's get back to this. <coughs> Returning to 1 John chapter 5, I'm going to move on. And continuing to the latter half of verse 6, following the assertion, all the assertions that uh, the Apostle John made about Jesus, now in an effort to prove, now this is really important, that, he's in, that his interpretation is the correct one, he goes to say there, and it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit, I want you to notice, he didn't say has truth, says is truth. The Spirit is truth. Okay, that's a very key thing. So in other words, the Apostle John says here that the Spirit presently testifies to us 
in our inward man. This is a real key thing, okay? Where does he testify? On the inside, all right? In our inward man, that the baptism and death of Jesus point to his being the Christ, the Son of God. And that's one of the jo- that, that is one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, to testify on behalf of Christ. Why Jesus said, John chapter 15, verse 26. John chapter 15 and verse 26. He says, but when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father. Watch this. He calls him the Spirit of truth, who, who proceeds from the Father. He will what? Testify. That means bear witness, by the way. Okay, when we're talking about the three witnesses, all right? He will testify or bear witness of me. Isn't that interesting that the Spirit has the job of testifying or bearing witness of Jesus Christ, that He is the Christ, that He is the Son of God. This is really important. I'm going to bring this out a little bit more later. All right, so I've said here, first of all, notice that the wording in the latter half of verse 6, when the Apostle John says that the Spirit is truth, in other words, He not only conveys truth as the Spirit of truth, but as brought out here uh, also, but that He is, in fact, truth. Because he is God. Therefore, his testimony that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, is irrefutable. Let me just stop there for a minute. One of the things, and we'll bring this out a little bit more later, but one of the things that the Spirit of God does is that he'll let you know that you're not being fooled. He'll let you know. See, I, I said this before. There are some people, they get saved at the drop of a hat. Okay? You tell them a little bit of something, because they're so spiritually in tune, they actually hear God's confirmation of that, and they go, yep, we're there. <laughs> you know, what do we need to do? Other people, they're so spiritually out of tune, you have to give them proof after proof after proof. And dear God, you get to the end and you, they still don't know. And they well, what else do you want to you know? <laughs> I have found that, you know, people that are spiritually closed off that way usually want to do something that they don't want God involved in. You know what I'm trying to say? It's a little inconvenient. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll get saved before we die. But right now we want to, you know, okay, uh, live like the devil and then die just before and then go to heaven. You know, just get saved right at the end. You know, don't. <laughs> Listen, if you do that, the devil will find a way of making sure that you don't get that opportunity. Can I say that? Listen to me. Okay. Don't wait to the last minute. This is not an exam. You want to fail, by the way. Anyway. Let's move on. Well, <laughs> so what I'm, I'm talking about is there is a, co- a, a component in this. As much as there is the evidence, there is someone who will let you know that what you are hearing and what you are being ministered is the truth. He will also let you know when you are being lied to. No matter how much white they wear and no matter how pearly their teeth are, it don't matter. He'll let you know something is off. Yes, they're using scripture, but so is the devil. Hello, okay? And please listen to that when that goes off in you. Hallelujah. All right, where was I? Continuing on to verse 7 and 8. See, we moved on to two more verses. Amen. We'll finish them all today. (laughs) Because we finished them earlier. All right, verses 7 and 8. The Apostle John goes on to say there, that there isn't just an inward witness, but uh, but outward witnesses as well. As As he writes... For there are three that bear witness, that's verse 7 modified, verse 8 modified, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. Firstly, in both the Old and New Testament, important issues were decided with the testimony of two or three witnesses. First, brought out in Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15, where... Uh, which were the words which Moses spoke to all Israel, that's in Deuteronomy 1, 1, don't look there, where he said, and this is in Deuteronomy 19, 15, the latter half, 
He says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And then I want to look at this verse. If you can call up 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 1. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 1. The latter half of verse 1 brings this out. Because it carried over into the New Testament. You know, there were some things that were good in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know what I'm trying to say? Okay, that wasn't something that passed away. So I want to bring that out from the New Testament. But I want to show its Old Testament root as well. In 2 Corinthians 13 1, the Apostle Paul says, By the mouth of two or three witnesses, this is the latter half of verse 1, he says, By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. Now, God isn't going to set up a law and then break it. Can I get an amen on that? Amen? Okay, so, returning to John, uh, 1 John 5, that's why he's got three things there. In his commentary, Simon J. Kistamarchus says that when the Apostle John says that these three agree as one, he means that all three witnesses say the same thing. Before a court of law, the factual evidence of Jesus' baptism, that's the water, and death, that's the blood, is in complete agreement with the testimony of the Holy Spirit. A person cannot accept either one or two of the, of the witnesses and omit the third. Did you all get that? Okay. All three stand together. Amen? So, you know, one of the things you might be saying, what, why is this so important? I want you to understand that if God wants to confirm something to you, you need to understand that he will confirm it in several different ways. You know, sometimes we think, oh, dear God, I want to make a certain decision. I'm not sure. And then, you know, we kind of think, well, you know, maybe if he says one thing, that's enough. You know what? You can be biblical and say, God, you said by two or three. I want to see two or three. I don't want the devil to throw one out at me and go, ooh, that accidentally fell out. Ooh, maybe they'll take that as a, okay? And, and try to fool us. Man, you know, listen, be wise. Because some people will say, oh, you're trying to fleece God and you get fleeced. You know, stop all that, okay? Listen, you are a mature son of, and child, you know, son and daughter of God. You can ask for an inward witness. You can say, God, you need to witness to me some way, somehow, either on the outside or the inside. What, or both? Because, you know, this is both. This is water, blood, and inside, <laughs> okay? It's just like it gives you three different things, two on the outside, one on the inside. Are you, are you all with me? Okay, so you can ask God to, to confirm things in different ways so that the devil isn't just doing everything on the outside. Hello, amen, okay, all right. Anyway, accordingly, the apostle John now offers three witnesses in verse 8 because of this, okay? By the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything shall be established. The, the Apostle John offers three witnesses in verse 8, which are the Spirit, the water, and the blood, to prove his point. Remember again that this is in addition to the apostolic testimony that he had already offered in 1 John chapter 4 and verse uh, 14, when he says, And we have testified, or seen and testified, that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. So remember, this is in addition to all of that. Remember, he already told us that, listen, we have seen, we have testified, I'm telling you, I was there, <laughs> okay? So he's saying, listen, if you can trust me, trust me, but let me tell you something more than this, that God testified himself. There were three witnesses given. We're actually going to see God's testimony in the next two verses, verses 9 and 10, I believe, uh, as well. But here, the Apostle John is adding to his testimony all of these three things as well, three other witnesses, amen? So, you know, this is something else again. Understand that, you know, when God is trying to get a point across, he'll get it across in different ways, I mean, he'll go, well, if that didn't work, he'll give me another three over here. And something else over here. <laughs> he'll just keep going till he get it. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, moving on. Let me, you know, let me, well, okay. Let me stop you for a second. You know, when you're witnessing to people, don't think you've got to do all the work. 
You have a supernatural agent. You know, some people go, oh, I should have said this, I should have said that. Don't worry, God will look after it. You know, whatever effort you make, he will use that. And see, this is not everybody's call to witness. So I'm just, you know, because we're in the witnessing part, I'm just talking about this, okay? I'm not one of those that really call to witness either. Okay, I'm, I, I know, don't throw stones at me. All right, I'm called to do this. This is my work, okay? But, you know, if, if you feel called to that, understand that this is a supernatural thing. Understand that there are things that you can do and then God will take over. The Spirit will bear witness on the inside of them. And if they are saying they're getting nothing and nothing's happening, they are lying to you. Something is going on. They just don't want you to know it's happening, okay? Because they, you, they will see that as a weakness in them and a strength for you. And they, want, they don't ever want to appear weak before you. So they will lie through their teeth and say, no, 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 don't bother me. And then they will be throwing, you know, cups and sauces and plates and all sorts all over the place because it's upsetting them because they're coming against something that they can't get away from. Like somebody once said, I tried to get away from God and I stuck my fingers in my ears and he got louder. So, you know, amen. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. So, uh, let's move on. <clears throat> but now the Apostle John goes a step further and says that in addition to all the apostles, there are other proofs that can validate the truth about Jesus being the Christ, God's son, beginning with the Spirit. In his commentary, I. Howard Marshall writes, At his baptism, the Spirit came upon Jesus, and it was this fact which convinced John the Baptist that Jesus was the Son of God. So we're going back to why the Apostle John is talking about, okay, the water and the blood. In the other Gospels, the baptism of Jesus was accompanied by a heavenly voice which declared that he was God's Son. The Gospel writers certainly did not believe that this meant that Jesus was adopted as God's Son at this point. You all getting this? Amen? Okay. And there is no evidence that this view was held by their predecessors. Nobody in the past ever mentioned this. Okay? It was a sign that the one being baptized was already God's son. Amen. I know I've spoken enough about that, so I'm moving on. One of the gospel accounts of this is found in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where it speaks to both the spirit and the water when it says, so this is Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verse 16. It says, when he had been baptized, that's the word baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. So we have the, the, the water and we have the Spirit, okay? And suddenly a voice came down from heaven saying, now I have adopted this as my son. It's not what it says, <laughs> okay? It's not what it says. So I'm in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17 now. He's, it says, notice he says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. Not going to be. Not from now on. He said, this is my beloved son. All right? And he says, in whom I am well pleased. Remember similar words came out on the Mount of Transfiguration? Remember that when Jesus went up there with Peter, James, and John? And, you know, Pete starts talking and God says, shut up. He <laughs> goes, hey, Pete, keep it closed, man. Listen to the son. Listen to him. Amen. So, <laughs> this is something the heretics would not accept. And why the Apostle John uses it to confirm what he says is true. Further to this is the last scripture, okay? Uh, there is the witness of the blood or the witness at his death, specifically that he was indeed the son of God with Matthew chapter 27, verse 54. I think it's a really interesting scripture. Matthew chapter 27, verse 54. It says, so when the centurion and those... <laughs> I'm sorry. Every time I read this, I remember this movie on the life of Christ. And... 
uh, one of my cousins who watched it, you know, and he was watching and he said, I saw John Wayne in the credits. You all know John Wayne? Hello there, partner. Okay, one of those, okay? I did that really badly. Anyway, so, you know, <laughs> so, uh, I'll get it right in a minute. A and he said, I am trying to figure out where John Wayne was. You know, John Wayne was in a Christ movie. And he goes, I was waiting, waiting, waiting. And he said, oh my gosh, he said, and then came up the line. Let me read this. When, so when the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they, great, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this is the Son of God. And he, you know, and he said, oh my gosh, that's him. You know, because he had his helmet and everything, he couldn't tell. And, but when he spoke, he goes, we had one line in the whole movie. All right, now then, he was a centurion, okay? <laughs> Done moseyed off his horse, put his pistols aside. <laughs> okay, now, anyway, <laughs> the, the point being, you know, this is a Roman centurion. This is not a Christian cent Roman centurion. This is a Roman centurion who has, you know, who has defeated all kinds of cultures and lands and people and all kinds of weird stuff out there that's been believing in devils and all sorts of things. He overcame, you know, this is a guy that obviously came, overcame all kinds of fear. Do you notice that it says he feared greatly? Because of what was going on, something was happening that he could see to make him believe that this had to be the son of God. And I think it's really it's just amazing that God got somebody that was not a Christian to say this, is, this has to be the son of God. Because they kept spitting at him and saying, well, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross, everything else. But when all of this happened, a Roman centurion, amen, a hardened battle soldier says, surely this has to be the son of God. I think that is so significant. That's at his death. There's the blood. Okay? All right. Finally, and we'll finish with this quote. <clears throat> From a slightly different perspective, although just as significant, I. Howard Marshall says that the Apostle John personifies the water and the blood, placing them too as witnesses alongside the Spirit. And he insists that they are united in their testimony. The implication of this last remark is that their witness stands or falls together. A person cannot claim that he is accepting the witness of the Spirit if he rejects the witness of the water and the blood to the true character of Jesus. The Spirit takes the first place in the list of the three witnesses since it is he who witnesses through the water and the blood. Amen? Amen. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Father, for all these witnesses and for everything that you have done, Father.